We have two readings this morning. The first is from Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8, and it's verses 9 to 17. In the Church Bibles, that's on page 1134. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And the second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 21 to 24. On page 1041. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you in these moments would, um, would reveal the Father to us. In ways that perhaps we've never seen you before we ask in your name Amen 
Every time I've tried to sit down to plan a talk for today, God's told me not to. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. I think actually there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, and so I have, I have in front of me known I have this, because I want to read one quote from, quote from this, and then I'm moving it aside and, and we'll have no notes in front of me, because I think actually that the Father heart of God is at the very center of the gospel. It's the very heart of what the gospel is about, and I'll unpack that more. Obviously, it's about Jesus, but I'll unpack that a little bit more in a minute. And uh, a number of years ago, um, some people from uh, Malaysia were praying for me while I was at college, uh, and they had a word for me that said, you should always be prepared to speak about the Father heart of God. Always. Uh, and so I shouldn't, in a way, have to prepare a sermon on such a thing. But also, I think it's very important that a message like this comes from uh, the heart, comes from uh, a lived experience. Uh, but also, I had a real sense as, as I was preparing, or as I was trying to prepare, every time I tried to prepare, uh, that God had something very different for you and for St. Mark's in terms of what he wanted to say. And I know that when I prepare a sermon, I prepare it with both congregations in mind and all those kind of things and bringing the two together. But I think God wanted something very unique for each of you um, and so really stepping out and trusting but I want to read this one quote uh, from Packer who says this you sum up the whole of the New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator you sum up the whole of the New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. You see, we know that Jesus came to die for us. We know that the the, the gospel oozes the story of God restoring relationship between us and him. We know that Jesus came uh, to forgive us our sin, to set us free from sin and from death so that we can have life with God. We know that Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. All of these things that uh, are promises of God, all of these things that uh, are just oozing in the words and the actions and the life of Jesus. But everything was to the end that we may know the Father. Everything that Jesus did was to point us to the Father, to show us what the Father is like. Uh, I remember seeing an interview with Bishop Lindsay, who used to be the Bishop of Horsham uh, a number of years ago on TV, and someone was trying to catch him out and said, what does God look like? And he said, well, he looks like Jesus. If you want to know what God looks like, you look to the person of Jesus, because Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, to show us that there is a Father who loves us, to show us that there's a Father who is making every effort possible to restore relationship between him and us. And it's an incredible thing of the gospel that everything Jesus does, he he says, I cannot do what the Father does not do. I cannot speak what the Father does not speak. The passage in John says that, you know, that we just heard read that actually only I know who the Father is and those whom Jesus chooses to reveal him to. And those whom the Father chooses to reveal them to. When you read uh, John uh, 14 and 15, two incredible chapters of Jesus' teaching, where he's talking about the vine and the branches, and he's talking about how he and the Father are one, and his desire is that we are one with the Father. When you look at the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ is not the Father doing something to the Son. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in perfect unity, in perfect partnership, to bring about that relationship 
to seal for us that identity as sons and daughters of God. Now, I know uh, a number of people who've been uh, through the adoption process who have adopted children, and, and it's, a, it's beautiful when you hear the words that they describe their children. They describe them as, as chosen, as beautiful, as their chosen ones, as the one they decided upon. No adoption happens by accident. Every single adoption is intentional. The child is intentionally chosen by a family who intentionally want to adopt. And the same is true of us. That there is a father who in, in heaven who has intentionally decided to adopt you. Who has intentionally decided to choose you. And, and what, what Jesus is saying in John and, and as we've just seen in Luke, as, as Luke portrays it as well, is that his desire is that we and the father are one. That we accept, fully accept that identity that we have as sons and as daughters of God that's made possible by Jesus. It's made possible by the cross. Now, when you, when you have, uh, if any of you know families who have adopted, you will know that, that there's a part of which you have the children in your home before they're legally yours. There's a long process to go through, a lot of paperwork to fill in, a lot of processes to go through, and it ends, it culminates in, in, in a session in court where those children become legally yours and you legally become their parents. And at that point, a legal transaction takes place. That transaction that takes them from uh, their, their sort of earthly parents and make them uh, into, into your child. It's a legal transaction. And that legal transaction is exactly what happens on the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus makes that transaction to make it possible for us to be called children of God. And what I don't want to talk about today is God as a father. I don't want to talk of God as the father, as the father because it's really easy to do that. You can look through scripture. You can't argue the fact that God is a father. He's described as the father of many nations. He's described as the father of all people, the father of Israel. Uh, they referred to him as the father of many nations, uh, the father of all nations. All through the Psalms and Isaiah, you see him referred to as that. You, you can't deny that he's the father because when you see how Jesus talks about him, when you see how Jesus refers to him, when you see who Jesus is as the son of God, you can't deny that God is the father. There are people who try and and understand that there are difficulties around this and there are many challenges that people face but I don't want to talk about God as a father I don't want to talk about God as the father I'm talking today about God as your father and I hope you can see there's a difference because the whole thing about God being a father and being the father is nothing more really than a concept but what we're talking here is about an absolute reality that you are a son or a daughter of God that that father has chosen to be your father and he sent his son to make that possible and we need the Holy Spirit for this we need the Holy Spirit in our lives for us to truly understand and fully embrace and fully accept that identity and let me tell you why, why I think that is nobody in this room will have exactly the same experience as somebody else when it comes to fathers. Nobody. We all have a real varied relationship with our fathers. Some brilliant, some amazing, some awful and terrible, uh, some maybe even non-existent. Some of us here may have never even known our father. And so when we hear the word father, all we have to go on is our experience of fathers on earth, good or bad. 
And I say good or bad because we, we tend to project and it can, it can really uh, impact the relationship we have with God as our Father. Uh, I'm somebody who, you know, I feel very blessed that I'm close to my dad. My dad and I get on really well, uh, and, and we have a really good relationship. Uh, but in a way, that at times in the past has really hindered my relationship with God. Because I came to know Jesus at the age of 16 when my dad didn't know Jesus. He didn't understand the whole Christianity thing. He was supportive, and he was encouraging, and he was helpful, and he was kind. But he didn't understand it in the same way that I had come to understand it. And I remember being in the car... And one of the wonderful things about my dad is he let whoever was in the passenger seat choose the music, which I think is brave at best. Thankfully for him, I liked Queen, so he was, he was happy with that. But, but when I obviously became a Christian, in, in went the Christian music. And I remember hearing a song by Matt Ribbon called The Father's Song. And it talks about God being this perfect father. And I remember, distinctly remember, stopping singing because I felt bad. I thought, I wonder how my dad feels about the fact I'm singing about God being this perfect father. Does he in any way feel replaced? And for a long time, I couldn't sing that song if I was in the same place as my dad. And I've known many people who have a much more damaged relationship with a father than that. And, and nothing, nothing in this world breaks my heart more than hearing of a father who's abused his position as a father uh, and abused the, the gift that God has given them. And, th- and there are people whose, whose father has been absent, maybe not by their own fault, maybe not by choice, but you know, you've never known a father. Maybe your father was some of the things that Anne was saying about. Maybe he was faithful, but maybe he was absent. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was not the father that you expected him to be or that you've come to expect from a father. You see, all of these varied experiences become associated with the term father. If we've lost a father, that becomes associated with the term father. If we've struggled to be a father, that becomes associated with the term father so when we try to talk about god as father it can be so hard and so mixed and so varied and that's why we need the spirit so desperately we need the spirit because i think god knows that you know he knows what our earthly experiences would be like Because the question you have to ask yourself whenever you think about the Father, whenever you think about God the Father, regardless of what your experience on earth is, is who was your Father first? Who was your Father first? You see, the only reason my dad had the idea to have me... Actually, I was an accident, so I'm not going to say that, apparently. So the only reason my dad had me is because my father in heaven had already conceived the idea. The only reason that I'm here is because the father in heaven made me fearfully and wonderfully and knit me together in my mother's womb. And he has always been my father first. And what the spirit does when we invite him to, when we allow him to, is he shows us the Father heart of God. 
You see, Jesus, what Jesus does is Jesus reveals the Father to us. He says, this is what the Father looks like. This is what the Father's doing for you. This is what he's done for you by sending me. This is what he's prepared to do. This is how far he's prepared to go to be in relationship with you. And what the Holy Spirit does is he seals that identity within us so that he doesn't become the Father or a Father. He becomes our Father. And the phrase that Paul uses when he says that the spirit within you enables you to cry, Abba, Father. He's using the term Abba, the most intimate term that could possibly be used for any father. Jesus himself used it when he prayed in Gethsemane. Jesus himself used it when he taught the disciples to pray. And he's saying that term, Abba, Father, is so unbelievably intimate. I I wish you could know, and I wish I could know fully, really, just how shocking that would have been to the disciples. When he said, when you pray, you pray, Abba, Father father they would have been like what on earth are you talking about Jesus this is Yahweh this is the great I am this is the mighty holy majestic king of kings lord of lords and you're saying that we can call him Abba father that is bonkers Jesus that is insane and then when Paul goes on to, to expand on that in, in Romans, and he says it's the spirit within you that allows you to be able to use this term Abba father <clears throat> and this is a phrase that our language doesn't really give us the word for. We haven't really got an alternative. We haven't really got anything that begins to explore the closeness of it, but one of the closest we can come is the term daddy. Now, at the moment, to my four children, I'm a daddy, and I like that. I dread the day it becomes dad. I really do dread the day it becomes dad, because that's far too formal for me. There's something extremely intimate about the term daddy, isn't there? That's almost reserved for, for, for the younger generation in a way. But doesn't he say, let the children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these? You see, this intimate term of father, and even daddy doesn't come close, to be honest. The best word you can use is Abba. <laughs> Because that's the word that we were given. And I know it's not our natural native language, but, but Jesus is talking here about a level of intimacy that is unmatched. Unmatched by any earthly father. Unmatched by anything we can do. Unmatched by any other relationship. That we can approach God as our daddy God. And for some of us, we may need to go through huge journey of healing in order to be able to do that for some that may even require counseling for some that may even require finding someone to pray with and help you but the spirit is the one who seals that identity within us who shows that we are children of god he's not just that person's father or that good christian's father or that person who brought me to faith he's he's his father but not mine no that's rubbish He is our Father. When Jesus prayed, our Abba, that was a universal phrase. A universal phrase, and nobody is outside of it, regardless of your earthly experience of fathers. He is your Father. Adoption has nothing to do with your past and everything to do with your future. Adoption has nothing to do with your past and everything to do with your future. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour, that's fine, as you love yourself. I wonder how many of us here can genuinely say that they love themselves. (laughs) That they're happy with who they are. Because that's the model of love we're given in order to be able to love others, is how we love and treat ourselves. How do we love ourselves? Well, in order to love ourselves, we need to know that we're lovable, don't we? We need to know that that it's possible for us to be loved. And what screams that more to us than a father who made everything choosing you? Choosing to send his son for you. If that doesn't scream that you're lovable, I don't know what does. <laughs> I really don't know what else could make you feel lovable if you, if you can't comprehend the fact that God, who made everything, loves you so much he pursued you, sent his son for you, removed the barrier for you, gave life for you, so that you can know that you are, absolutely are, a son or daughter of God. And if you're a son or daughter of God, you're an heir of the kingdom. He's given everything to you. If you doubt that you're lovable, then what did Jesus come for? And I know we all struggle with that sense of identity. We all struggle with that, that, those times where we feel very unlovable. We hold our past before God or we, we think of who we are when we're at our weakest and we're at our lowest and we think of you know, who we'd like to be and, and we compare ourselves to other people. But right here, right now, in this moment, you are a son or daughter of God. And that's not conditional on anything except what Jesus has done. And accepting that truth. It's not that you could one day be a son or daughter of God. If you get it right. You are a son or daughter of God because Jesus got it right. For you. And God was your father way before anything else. As we, were, um, as we were praying on Wednesday, uh, we had a few words. So it was, it was, Anne actually said that word, that adoption is nothing about your past, but all about your future of relationship. Psalm 27 verse 10 says, When my father and mother have forsaken me, the Lord will receive me. And we had a real sense as we were praying on Wednesday about, about the, the whole process of grafting. I don't know how many gardeners there are here, but when you graft one thing into another thing and it can produce something completely new and beautiful into an old, you know, dying stump, you can... You, you, I, I'm not a gardener, so I'm not going to begin to explain it, but the whole sign of sense of actually God grafting you in, whatever has happened in the past for you, whatever your past looks like in terms of how you view God as Father... Today is a day you can be grafted in to the family of God. And you may have been fighting against that for so long. You may have been struggling with the concept of that and making it far harder than it needs to be. 
I've got to deal with this first and then I can be grafted in. No. I've got to get this sorted, then I can be grafted in. No. I've got to get uh, my life together, then I can be grafted in. I need to, I need to think of that. I've, I've got to change my ways. I've got to become less angry. I've got to become less hurtful. I've got to become more like this. And I've got to become more like that person. No, 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 and no. Jesus has done it all for you. So that you can be and you are a son or a daughter of God by the blood of Jesus. It's nothing to do with what you can do and everything to do with what he's done. So all you need to do is say, Jesus, thank you, sorry, take me and graft me in. You see, God's love for everybody is so vast that he sent his son. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Behind that, behind that whole plan, behind that whole move, behind that whole motivation, is a father waiting for you. And I don't know the story of the prodigal son there are so many paintings of the prodigal son so many portrayals of it and and just to kind of really sum up what I think the role of the spirit is is that Jesus shows us what the father is like so that we can begin to make that decision to run to him and I kind of imagine that the spirit is the arms that gather round because it's as the arms gather round the son that he knows that he's still a son and he went back wanting to be a servant. He went back expecting to only be a slave. But it's as the father embraced him, he knew he was still a son. And that's what I think the spirit does. You know, he gives us that embrace so we know beyond question that we are children of God. And for some of you who may be here this morning grieving whatever your father relationship has been like on earth but God was your father first so let's um, stand together One of the grafting in pictures we had was actually that you, when you look back at your family tree, it just seems like a really uh, dark and difficult place. And it, it may feel like that you are the only thing that is blossoming in your family, as in you're the only one who knows Jesus. Perhaps you're the only one who is in that relationship in your family and nobody else in your family has seen that light or has understood that. And, and we had a sense on Wednesday that the, there's a real thing that God wants to say that, that actually you know, he's grafted you into a new route and he's going to do a new thing through future generations through you that actually he's starting a new lineage today in a way of a family who, who love Jesus. Uh, and, and whereas you've not had it modelled to you up till now, you have an opportunity now to be that for the generations that come after you. And that God has... Um, 
a sense of kind of pruning to do for some people here but all of that out of love and desire to to show you really his love for you we had a sense of a father grieving for a child that he never knew and God wants you to know today that he knows your pain he knows your love and your hopes and your dreams and your fears and he wants to show you that he's your father today and so because this is a work of the spirit and not a work of anything I can preach then I just want to invite you to just maybe hold out your hands if you feel comfortable doing so and we pray Holy Spirit and this is a really simple prayer Holy Spirit seal in our lives our identity as sons and daughters of God show us that we're not just lovable but that we are loved and that love is not conditional on how we're doing but is possible because of Jesus show us that you Father first I've not done research into this but I once heard it said from somebody who has been involved in prayer ministry for many many years that 90% of the emotional uh, emotional healings that he saw happen happened when people accepted their identity as children of God And it may be for you, no matter how deep-seated some of those things may be. And today for some may be just the beginning of a journey, but God wants to show you that it's a journey worth going on. Because there is a healing to be found in the Father. that word again that adoption has nothing to do with your past and everything to do with your future relationship with God